When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense after the Ravens win over the Browns. A great win. Beautiful, beautiful, ugly win. But <laughs> but beautiful in the end because this is a Ravens win and we get to be happy all week. At least that's the way it is in the McCusick household. Joining me tonight to do this, one of our good friends, Jeremy Kahn. Thanks so much for coming on, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. You always join us on our show, so definitely uh, willing to return the favor anytime you need Oh, that's uh, that's it's very nice of you. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a tough, tough time to talk about the offense. Obviously, the way things have gone for a second straight week, they averaged three point nine yards per play. And both times they have won the snap count decisively. Seventy six to fifty seven in Chicago, seventy seven to fifty seven in this game here. Weird is all I can call that. Yeah, I remember I used to work with a guy that had lies, damn lies, and football statistics is what the name of the segment was, which he stole. But uh, we would talk about things like this where we'd look at two teams and going, wait a minute, this happened? Who won the game? And you'd look at the numbers. But, you know, going back to this past week, the turnovers, I think, were the key and really why they were able to hang around. But, um, yeah, just trying to figure out what's going on with the offense the past three weeks, really, if, if you go back and look at it. Yeah, this week, fortunately, the turnovers were not the key because <laughs> yeah. the Ravens uh, certainly handed it over a number of times. Uh, how are you on night football? Where do you stand on that? I know as an analyst, I'm really coming to hate it. Yeah, I, I'm not for it. I, I like the um, the typical one o'clock games, especially now doing the morning show. I mean, I'll be getting up in, what is it, about six and a half hours here or 
Yeah, coming up on that, I guess when we finish, it'll be roughly six and a half hours. And, you know, it's just kind of funny because staying up for those night games, sometimes they move fast and you're like, hey, it's not too bad. I'm in bed before 11, which is a, a very fair thing. But uh, now looking at it, when the games get really late or we have those crazy games, I, I can't handle it because I'm such a fan that I'm going to stay up and watch. And then your adrenaline gets going oh, yeah. and it's not like you're going to go to sleep right after the game. So yeah. it, it does become difficult. So I, I have a process for going to sleep that I think is good. And I don't ever go to sleep right after a football game. We're up to five in the morning doing our analysis afterwards, you know, for, for the defense. Mm-hmm. But, but if I do need to go to sleep, watching an old football game puts me to sleep like that. If I watch that Tennessee game for the playoffs in 2000, puts me to sleep in about 45 seconds. I, I was wondering if that Miami game might put you to sleep or if it just yeah. makes you angry every time you watch it. Yeah, that would that would be angry, I'm afraid. So, uh, so the football outsiders playoff odds are out again for this week, and they include Monday Night Football. So we're so we're kind of kind of a, a final on this. The Ravens now a 91.1 percent chance to make the playoffs for them. So you, you obviously have a great handicapping background here, and maybe tell people about your show on Sunday morning. Yeah, so I'm doing a show called FanDuel Game Day Live. Uh, it's on our AM station 1300 here locally, but we're on in 25 cities across the country. Uh, myself and Chris Mack, ironically, who's a uh, Steelers radio host on their fan show up in Pittsburgh. Uh, but we get along great and have a good time doing it and just picking games. You know, they, they call it wagertainment. So trying to talk, you know, handicapping, point spreads, and, and maybe make it a little entertaining if we can. Wagertainment. That's a good That's a good one. So uh, the Ravens now a 91.1% chance to make the playoffs by football outsiders. So that's either winning the division or making the wild card. Uh, the way that's laid out is about 69% to win the division. About two-thirds of the time when they don't win the division, they'll still get a wild card. It's 91.1. Seem too high, too low, or right on right on the money to you? I think it's right on if you look at the AFC because uh, we don't know who's going to win the AFC West. All those teams play each other. We don't know who's going to win the AFC North. They all play each other. We're down to two teams, essentially, in the AFC East, unless you believe this Miami Dolphins team gets hot and runs the table. Um, and then the South, you know, the Colts are still there and the Titans are, it's just a matter of how, how big their free fall is going to be. So if you start doing the math, I think that 90% number seems right. And looking at the rest of the schedules, which I, I, you know, I took a little peek at it, uh, for some of the teams, but, um, I, I just think that the Ravens are, I, I definitely believe they're in the playoffs. My one concern would be winning the division. Cause I think that December 26th game looms large. Yes. Against yeah. the Bengals, of course. Right. Yeah, that's that's a that's definitely a very big game, and the Ravens really can't afford to lose the get swept in the season series there. But they otherwise in very very good shape head to head wise against the other teams that they played so far. They've been beating Denver and the Chargers, and who am I missing? They lost to Oakland, but they beat the Colts. Yep. So. I, I look at it as there's there's really eight strong contenders for playoff spots, obviously seven playoff spots this year, but Buffalo, New England from the east, Baltimore, Cincinnati from the central, uh, from, from the north, rather, uh, Tennessee, Indianapolis from the south, still want to call it the central after all these years, Kansas City, San Diego from the west. Uh, the other guys are all kind of on the margin, and Denver, Las Vegas, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh, I think, are all on the margin for various reasons. They've lost head-to-head, or they're they're not really that good in the case of Pittsburgh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I, it's it's probably one of the most interesting playoff races I can remember in, in this conference anyway. Yeah, because the oddity of it is just looking at the divisions, and again, as we talk about them being up for grabs, I mean, I'd be willing to put my money where my mouth is as far as it coming down to Ravens and the Bengals in this division. Uh, the Chiefs and the Chargers. Not to tell you that the Raiders and Broncos can't do it. I just think they're all going to beat up on each other and eventually eliminate one another. Um, and then in the South, again, we talk about the Tennessee Titans in this free fall and whether or not the Colts can catch them for the division. But they're both still set up in a really good place to make it into the playoffs. 
and then we're down to Buffalo and, and of course, um, New England. So I just gave you eight teams out of those divisions. Seven of them are going to make the playoffs with the Ravens having the number one seed. Kind of feel like they're going to have a great shot to be there uh, when, when all said and done. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. And I, I uh, you know, it's, it's always a bad year when the Ravens don't make the playoffs. A lot of things have gone wrong this year. And I, I just I can't put myself in the same position the Steelers and Browns fans claim to be right now where they just want to tank and get the highest possible draft pick. I realize each of them are thinking about drafting quarterbacks again, which is kind of a good situation to have in your division when it looked like there were four pretty good quarterbacks a couple of years ago. But uh, but they're thinking certainly even in even in Cleveland about replacing Mayfield at this point. He's, I don't like what I've seen from him. And, you know, we, we thought it was going to be that roller coaster where year one, he looks awesome. It's like, hey, they found their guy. Year two, we're going, what happened? Then last year when everybody's kind of off them, it's like, oh, see, this is what we thought we were getting from Baker. And then we're right back to where we were. And I know he's playing through some injuries, but mm-hmm. I, I always go back to this because when Kirk Cousins was on Washington, I said, if, if I'm Washington, I pay him. Even though I wasn't a Cousins guy, there's some good things, some bad things. I think it's almost like a – perfect scenario where you need to surround him with the most amount of talent. And then I felt like the same thing applies with, with Baker Mayfield now, because I just question if he's going to make players around him better. Is he the right leader? Is he still a little immature and just overall I'm watching him. How good is he? Because I think he's a middle of the pack guy. And if if that's all he is, am I willing to pay him top dollar or near it, you know, for that position? And I don't think I can. Yeah, it's it's a very tough decision for for a team that has a lot of talent, and particularly on that offensive line, and whether they want to give that up or go out and sign somebody. But there are no cheap options at quarterback because you either pay a lot to free, through a free agent, you pay a really lot for for somebody good like Cousins, or you you pay a lot on a franchise tag or on a one year deal with if you want to string Mayfield along a little longer, or or you pay a ton of draft capital and you may not have access to the top guys still, or you may have to trade away multiple number ones to get it. Yeah. So. All those, all those options sound good to me for the Browns. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't think I want any of them. Well, I was looking at it, too, because there are three teams. If you go back and look at the NFL draft, um, there are three teams that have multiple picks, uh, including, you know, when you look at some of the moves that were made. I know Detroit moved to, what is it, the, the Eagles have three first-round picks. I think currently, like, the fourth and fifth pick. And then they had the Colts pick, but now they went on their winning streak. So that pick's dropping. So it, it could be one of those years where we see a lot of wheeling and dealing when we get there. If somebody wants their guy or vice versa, it feels like they can drop out and take somebody later. Yeah, it, it should be. It's all, you know, it's always a pretty good bet that somebody's going to move up and get the quarterback because need kind of trumps all. And there's always a team like the Rams out there that's willing to trade their entire future away for a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have no picks. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, we'll talk some scheme from this game first. I'd like to start the offensive thing with this because there's a differences in scheme. There's some things the Ravens have been doing very similarly uh, week after week. And a great point you brought up in our production meeting as well. But uh, let's talk to one thing that I saw that I really liked last night was a combination of sidecar and pistol that was more split than I'd seen before. Now, why is that important? Pistol is what the Ravens ran primarily in 2019. It's the, it's the running back directly behind a shotgun quarterback, and it gives the Ravens an either side option for the running back. Um, but the effectively, it makes Lamar the outside speed presence for the team. I think for two reasons, they hadn't been willing to do that that much this year. They've been playing out a sidecar instead. The first reason being they really wanted Lamar to see the field better by looking straight ahead and not having to turn his turn himself for a, for a handoff or a fake. Um, but but also uh, they didn't want Lamar to be the outside option in, in part 
It might have been groin-based in 2020, but in 2021, I think they liked what they had in 2020, and they said, we don't want to really change it again, and so they were happy with Lamar being the up-the-middle threat. But you'll notice that Lamar really hasn't, except when he's scrambling, has not really run to the sideline much this year, whereas that was really the bread and butter in 2019. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what happens moving forward, because I saw some of the same sets that you were talking about. And I'm intrigued, depending on what type of looks they want to give the defense, particularly in any given game, for that matter. But, uh, but you know, with Lamar, I also wonder, moving forward, do we see him become – and he's already a, a prominent role in the running game. Do we see that become even a bigger role or a bigger burden for him um, if they're not having the success just handing the ball off, i.e. what we saw in uh, Buffalo last year when Buffalo kind of went in the postseason and Josh Allen, they were going out. And it, it might even be an interesting take because I, I don't know if this is something they would do if they would go five wide and then, you know, leave Lamar back there and spread that field out. Yeah, it's it, it that specific thing scares the heck out of me in terms of asking Lamar to do more, particularly in the middle of the field. And you put this enormous, even just a scrambling burden on him. And I think you, you take risks with him every time you do it. So I would prefer if that were not the case. One of the things mm-hmm. about Michael Vick's career, as great as it was, he never rushed the ball more than 15 times in a game. Lamar, in his first start, rushed the ball 27 times. He's been up over 20 a couple other times as well. 21, I think, this year uh, in one of the games. So. Yeah, it's happened, uh, you know, when you think about it. I was looking at Vick's numbers. They were flashing some, you know, rushing statistics and talking about it. Uh, I forget what show I was watching, but it's just so weird seeing his numbers in such a short period of time, what he's accomplished, not just the yards, but the touchdowns um, and and seeing, you know, all the records he's broken in such a short period of time. Yeah. So anyway, this should be another year for that. I think maybe against Cleveland, it was one where they really needed to pull all the stops out. This was such an important game and, and using Lamar as the edge threat was something they feel it felt like, okay, we, we maybe need to try that again because, it's it could be very useful for us. We need to show a varied threat against them. The other way they can they can address that, and I've been calling for this for a while, but they've only done it one snap so far, is to put Duvernay in the backfield. He's the only legitimate speed option that they have available to them. Williams, I think, would be pretty close to what they want. The problem is that he, he has other issues that are keeping him off the field because I can't come up with any other reason why he's not there. Been a big uh, topic of conversation for most of the year, right? Like. You look at the guys, and none of them are explosive outside of Lamar. And then we thought about Tyson. He, first week or first game of the year, that big 40-some-yard run against the Raiders going, okay, they got something here. Yep. And slowly but surely kind of phased out. So maybe he is in the doghouse. Is it something with pass pro or not picking up the playbook? Mm-hmm. They're never going to tell us, but we'll just sit here and talk about it all the time. Right. Do you, do you guys get a ton of calls about that on the morning show? We did uh, the first couple of weeks, and it's going, you know, like, why isn't he out there? And every one of us is looking at one another. We've got people that are there behind the scenes. They're like, I don't know. I, who can tell you why Tyson doesn't get more carries when you look at your options? And we were all screaming about it when Le'Veon Bell was here. Even I, I think Freeman's looked better. But, again, I don't know if he can hold up or if that's somebody you can really rely on as a threat once you get to the postseason. So, the explosive plays we've seen. If you look at the running backs that have gone down across the league, like we saw it with Chicago, David Montgomery misses a week. Herbert pops in and he looked really good given the bulk of the carries at uh, Johnson and, and Cleveland. But to be fair to the Ravens, they did lose their top three running backs. So they was yeah. bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And, and this was a bad year to lose any position, frankly, but, but in particular running backs or now I, I'll just say any position, but by not having any running backs, the Ravens normal strategy would be look at the pool of available rookies and first year players who are on other teams, practice squads. And the Ravens have proven themselves very adept 
at picking those guys off the scrap heap and getting value. This year, there weren't very many because of COVID. And you know, the, the, the draft was about a half draft or a three-quarters draft where they didn't have those five, six, seven-round picks, maybe from small schools in particular, where DaCosta would have scouted them very heavily with the big infrastructure they have. And they would know more about these guys, but now they, they just don't have it. Uh, you know, it also kind of bothers me that um, Nate McCrary is, has not gotten a shot yet. Yeah, I, why not? What do you have to lose at this point by giving a guy a couple of handoffs to see? Because Lamar makes everyone better, so it always makes mm-hmm. me wonder when it comes in the running game. It's like, well, how bad would Freeman and Murray be on other teams? Like the Saints <laughs> basically let Murray walk, and, and I thought he was going to be the best of the bunch, but I just haven't seen much from any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all uh, – the, the rush yards – over expectation number, which is that the, a couple of Austrian analysts d- defined it. They've almost never been to a football game, but that's that's cool because they, they come up, came up with this incredible new system that is that is going to be the, the basis for a lot of others. Uh, Murray is like almost a yard under his expectation per carry, which is really hard to do. And, and Freeman is like half a yard under. So very unexciting uh, numbers from both of those guys. It's kind of rough to see, too, because I, I, I've been talking about it, like putting a running back in the backfield with Lamar, there should be some sort of an advantage because he's always the threat mm-hmm. to at least give you a look. So if you can see the hole, hit the hole, probably a better situation here. But again, even if they have those guys, they're not fast enough to get into the hole and actually create a big play or right. you know some of the things that we'd like to see. We haven't seen any home runs in the running game outside of Lamar. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it, is that the other the other team's linebackers who would normally be taking extra read steps on Lamar are basically saying, we dare you to run. OK, mm-hmm. so you you want to run your geriatric running backs against us. Go, you go ahead. But we're going to key on Lamar. Our edge guys are never going to key on the running back. Uh, you know, like like, you know, was the whole goal in 2019 and they're very successful with. And, you know, we're just we're basically going to make sure we have Lamar on radar lock and uh, you guys can otherwise figure it out. I think they've obviously that that has not worked in the Ravens favor. Yeah. And Clowney did that. uh, Speaking of the, you know, the read option, they ran that one play his way and he went after Lamar and said, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's move on here a little bit. Uh, One thing I've been talking about week over week is the number of inline players because the Ravens with their current tackle situation have been really working hard to find extra inline blockers and, and chippers in particular, but they've uh, they've used a combination of tight ends, fullbacks, and sixth offensive linemen that is now 188 per play in this last game, and it, that's that's very high. Even though obviously Garrett and Clowney are guys you want to chip, they're guys you want to definitely get a body on, get get to their rib cage as often as you can during a game. But the Browns also only bring a four man pass rush. So it's not like you need a lot of extra guys to pick that pass rush up. And and they they, they blitzed a fair amount in this game. They blitzed about uh, – I had it in front of me before. I'm sorry, I don't have it now. Maybe may about 35% of the time. So they, they rushed five-plus. But it was it – was, uh, you know, most of the time when they're rushing four, you have a good chance to pick that up. One chip and you're out kind of thing. It's, it's, you shouldn't need all those extra in-line players if, you, if the Ravens really want to lean on some of their receiving talent. Because if you have two – Inline players, plus you have one running back every play. That really only leaves you two receivers. It means you can't get to 11 personnel very often. Yeah, and one of the other things, too, you talk about chipping. Uh, sometimes when you have a, a team like this, maybe you use their strengths to your advantage, and more, you'd see more teams run those screens. Or uh, I know we got to see a tight end screen, which was kind of cool, if you want to call it a wide receiver screen, uh, where it was like I call them pick and pops, like that feigning, blocking, and then turning around. 
I thought, you know, Andy Reid did that against teams that had these great pass rushes and seemed to have a knack for calling when they were coming. We saw that plenty of times here with the Ravens. So um, I, I definitely like to see them get some some different looks in their own offense as well. But I know that's something we can talk about later. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. Is that is that you'd like to see him do more screen passes? You'd like to see him get some passes into the spot where you're anticipating an edge rusher to go wide and beat your weak tackle. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the, each of them, Clowney and Garrett, each knocked down a pass. In fact, Garrett knocked down a pass. I think was going to be a touchdown. Right? It was early, yeah. relatively early in the game. So, I mean, boy, it's you, you got to do some things that are that are tough to get those guys off their spot. Uh, all right, sixteen and seven set and chip blockers in this game. That's point sixty eight per play. We've been talking about that for for week over week. That's not a particularly high level. That's a really normal level, despite the fact that it was Garrett and Clowney. So they made some attempts, but they didn't. Ha- they didn't go all out. Generally speaking, if Cleveland rushed four, they sent all of the eligible receivers out for the for a pattern. They didn't. They didn't try to uh, chip under those circumstances. That's interesting too, and we wouldn't have expected those numbers to to even out that way. But you know, it, it, and again, we'll see what they do moving forward because it, it's kind of interesting knowing all the different divisional games they have and how important each game is, how you attack each team. Um, yeah, and, and I, I just don't think there's a lot of great defenses out there in the league. I think we have great uh, groups, whether it's pass rushers, cornerbacks, but uh, I don't know if you're going to run into another duo outside of you know playing Cleveland again, like Garrett Clowney. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting things in the division right now is that they all run a four three and not a three four. So the Ravens run this three four. They'll put five guys at the line of scrimmage with with in their base defense, three down linemen and, and two outside linebackers. The other teams in the division, it's two defensive ends and two interior linemen. And so that that right there would tell you we're probably going to see more four man pass rush, but not necessarily because other teams are willing to you know throw the whole kitchen sink at the line of scrimmage and let the Ravens figure it out. And so far, I don't think the Ravens have been too good at that. And Chicago and and uh, Denver and Miami really really all did that to some degree. Yeah, just going back to to Miami, I, that game shocked me so much. Not to the fact that they lost, because I, I I think I'm the only guy that really believes in that those short weeks on a Thursday night, like how difficult that is for the road team. Um, but just going back to that game that they couldn't figure out the cover zero thing and yeah. just no big plays down the field and didn't feel like there were many opportunities. Yeah. So we talked about that a little bit on the show. It's the cover zero aspect of it made it difficult because that always gave them one extra along the line of scrimmage where they had an advantage on one edge or the other, depending on which directions their protections went. But the part of it that was just devastating to the Ravens, and I can't believe they couldn't figure it out, was they dropped two or more guys 24 times in that game. That's simulated pressure. That number is off the charts high. I mean, they had 40 cover zeros, but they had 24 where they dropped two plus into coverage. Their nose tackle. Adam Butler, who used to play for the Patriots, dropped 18 times in one game. That is about the total number of interior linemen you would see Wink drop in an entire season, maybe about one per game you would ever have. So That's just, amazing. It's an incredible game, but just incredible. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, yeah, here we got four-man pressure, 22 out of 34 on the game. So it was 12 out of 34, about 35% on the on the uh, five-plus. Um uh, 19 plays the Ravens pulled out of 74. That's a good rebound, but it's not as much as they, they really do when they're running a lot. And they did run 40-some times in this game. I want to say it was 43 with three kneels, so really 40. 
that doesn't really seem like a lot of polls for that many for me. So, uh, you know, a little bit reduction in their poll rate. And I, I think Roman's offense works best when there's a guard in motion giving the other team something to look at, whether run or pass. I'm happy to have a pulling guard on a pass play too. Uh, just showing the other team that you're, you're thinking about both still. Yeah, I like all those different looks and, and running different things out of them. So as well as you talk about pulling even on a pass, that's just another way to give them something maybe they haven't seen. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, you, you had a really interesting point. I want to, want to kind of get to this. Uh, the point about complex being routes being run by Hollywood. I didn't pick up on this during the game, and unfortunately I haven't had a chance to go back either. But you made this point on the morning show, first of all, was that you noticed Hollywood running some uh, atypical routes on the outside. Yeah, a lot of times we'll see, uh, you know, those double moves or you're out nuts. You're, you know, the, the pump fake and the wheel route to the outside. Or if you want to talk about, you know, slant and goes. And there's just so many different ones. It looked like, and whether or not the play was breaking down to the outside, Lamar got out there and he read him right off the bat. But it was really fast where he came back on a little bit of a hitch route, like a 12-yard hitch, pops back. And as soon as he starts coming forward, he did a spin move and then ran a nine route up up the sideline. So I just thought it was interesting. The pass was uh, overthrown or was, you know, he, he wasn't able to uh, bring it in. And it's just funny because I saw him in, um, in the preseason running some interesting routes, these uh, like just complex routes where you're running a slant and like a post corner and making sure you get deep down the field. And it was almost like they're setting up plays where Lamar can kind of get out of that pocket, create a little bit more time, and you have opportunities down the field. I haven't noticed them that much in games actually working out, but um, but I am intrigued to see if we do see more of it, or maybe my eyes were just telling me a long story. I, I need I need to look at it again too. I, I I apologize for not really being prepared for this, Jeremy, because you came up with this this morning when when you know when we were talking. But but it, one thing that strikes me is you almost never spend that much time at the top of the route to do a complete spin and go. Yeah. So we we talked about this beforehand, but it's possible that he peeked into the backfield, saw Lamar rolling out, realized. Oh, emergency or, or, you know, fire or whatever. And, and he's running a deep route at that point, which I love. I love the fact that, that he'd be reacting to Lamar and understanding I need to go to an empty spot on the field rather than run those, those terrible rules that always gave Flacco no options where everybody goes to the sideline at level at level zero, one and two, I'll call it. Yeah. I'm just wondering if, if they're on just the same page and Lamar gives them a look because as a receiver, you're told to work back to the quarterback when he's in trouble. Yep. Um, we do see situations where a quarterback, you've seen him, Mahomes does it, yep. Rogers pointing, telling somebody where they want him to go. Didn't get to see that. That's I, I, so why I want to rewatch the game, but, um, but pretty interesting that, that he did make that move because I've never seen anybody do it before. Yeah. We saw Andrews make space down the field and that's beautiful when you see that. And, and we often see, Lamar motion just in the way you've talked about to get a tight end back to the middle of the field often Andrews but it could be other receivers as well you know say don't go to the sideline I don't want you here you know you, this is where everybody knows you're going go back to go back to the middle of the field and he he's very willing to throw to the place they told all young quarterbacks not to throw to which is back across your body in the middle of the field because he knows he can take risks with that and, and uh, it can turn his body in a way that'll that'll make it easier for him. Yeah, the touchdown pass to Andrews you brought up coming back, and he works out and did the same thing, threw back yep. across his body. Amazing play, by the way, even getting hit on the arm. Yeah, it's, 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 that was such a play. We saw two in a row there with, with the long pass to Andrews and then the touchdown pass to Andrews, where even on a terrible night, I mean, the worst night of his career, frankly, for, for Lamar Jackson, there's still evidence that he's a great quarterback. Yep. He's, he just four picks. I, I love the thing. And I don't know if you saw it today where Patrick Queen, he was mic'd up, went over to him 
and says, don't worry about this. You're playing great. We got you. I, I thought that was cool, kind of seeing the defense show up, even though they were having some issues with the offense, because how many times has Lamar picked them up? Yes. <laughs> I think we owe you 50 on yeah. what, what Queen added to, to the end of that, but, uh, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about Lamar, about Lamar. And this is one of the things that really bothered me about the performance. 11 ample time and space opportunities. So that's a three-second pocket he has to work out of 34 plays. That's 32%. So it's not a terrible number that's about normal, I would say, in the NFL right now, where quick pressure is at a premium and scheming for pressure is at a premium. But on those plays, he threw for only 19 net yards with three interceptions, one sack taken for, I forget, sack was, I think, for eight yards. But anyway, for, for uh, six, sorry, for six yards. So 1.7 yards per play and a passer rating of 8.3 when the offensive line does their job and gives him a three-second pocket. That's, that's incredible. I, you know, with the numbers are, have been just insane this year. We yeah. went over it today. They're 4-0 and they throw two interceptions or more. You know, four interception game and you win it. The only quarterback this year to do it. It's or over the, however long it's been. Yeah, it's seven just years. I think. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it really is incredible. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know they still wouldn't have won this game without Lamar. If you put Huntley in instead of Lamar, I think they lose this ball game anyway. Mm-hmm. Probably anyway. I think Huntley makes other mistakes. Huntley would not have helped them as a runner as they needed to to dominate the play count. He did against Chicago. He really did a good job because basically that was his game. But um, if he had uh, if he had been in there, I'm afraid they wouldn't have been able to have the kind of play count advantage they had against Cleveland. Then they would have, I think, eventually worn down against the run. Or worse, Cleveland would have figured out how to attack the base defense uh, earlier than they did, or, or with more left in the game than they did, and uh, and had some scoring opportunities. Agree with it. And you know the funny thing is, even still talking to people about Lamar and just how special he is. I go back to it because there's very few quarterbacks in the league I'd point to that say, you know, he makes players around him better. And more times than not, you're talking about wide receivers. But with Lamar, I think you're talking about the entire offense. Everybody. I, yeah. I could argue the defense as well because of the play count domination. He's, he's really improving. But certainly makes every single offensive player better. And, and that's the thing. All the grading systems, they fail to capture that. Anybody who, who wants to start talking passing stats for Lamar, they're, they're admitting they're failing to capture it. Anybody who, who just wants to talk about his running and passing stats, even accumulated together, is not really capturing it. It's how much better Mark Ingram was and J.K. Dobbins was and all the other guys were that, that ran, all the other offensive linemen that, that got Pro Bowl berths <laughs> because of who Lamar Jackson is. That's, what, that's what's really special. So, uh uh, you know, anyway, I think he really made the right tackle position. I think he, he, he made Orlando Brown a lot of money. Not that Orlando Brown is a bad player by any means, but I think he really made Orlando Brown a star. Yeah, I would agree. There's not enough advanced metrics to tell us just how good the kid is. Yeah. Collinsworth had a comment I thought that was pretty on the money. He said, uh, you should not try and change how Lamar plays if there's any chance it would reduce his confidence. So he's thrown three interceptions in the first half. He might have already thrown the interception in the second half when he said this. But he said, basically, don't change a thing. Don't, don't even give an indication that you don't trust this guy uh, because that would, uh, you know, that would devalue him or it might, might, uh, might uh, ruin his confidence in some way. It does make you wonder about that, too, because I, I do feel like Lamar is kind of hard on himself. He'll be the first one to point the finger. And the best thing, uh, point the finger at himself, I should say, let me finish that. But in the postgame, when he talked about the defense picking him up and, and how important that was, 
Um, so I, I do think like if you change something up in his game, you just need to let him be him. Like we've been criticizing some of the decision making off the field and when he's playing with the kids on the concrete and out here near the water doing this or that. But you just kind of let the guy be him until he shows you it's not working. Right. I, I, on the field, we're saying, yeah, yeah. I agree with that yeah. completely. And, you know, for, for all the things that have not been perfect off the field, Lamar is one of the best off the field players you'll ever see. He has the most incredible work ethic for improving himself during the offseason. He's worked with Josh Harris. Josh Harris, you could argue, is one of the greatest draft picks in Ravens history. Yeah. <laughs> Just by what he's always up Lamar. So, I'm not sure about that anyway, but. Uh, all right, let's talk offensive line performance a little bit. Uh, going through the the, the five guys because they all played reasonably well given who Cleveland presented them. And and uh, Villain Wave I thought had his best game of the year. Uh, he he did allow. Um, okay, this is a little bit complex here. Parts of three pressures plus two thirds of a quarterback hit. Uh, he allowed. He did a good job I thought of mirroring. Uh, Garrett. So when he's doing that, he's, he's, his feet are staying uh, uh, opposite him well, and Garrett's having to use the bull rush to get in on Lamar, collapse the pocket that way. But Lamar's proved adept at getting away from that sort of pressure. So as long as he doesn't get it from both sides on the same play, he's one of the bounciest in the pocket and out of the quarterback out of the pocket quarterbacks you'll ever see, uh, which is which is usually just fine. In fact. His interceptions, three of them, came on ample time and space opportunities, so pressure wasn't even a factor. When he does have pressure, he's actually he's actually reasonably good about either getting away from it and, and getting a good scramble out of it or, or moving out and making an off, off-time throw. He's been exceptional at that, um, just creating that little extra space either way, too. And you can watch him. You know he has the ability to take off and run, but I always love watching him move around in the pocket, how his eyes are working downfield. That's such a key to his game. Yeah, one of the key things when they when they were rushing for, they're giving Lamar a better chance to have holes created there. Oh, nice dog in the background. Yeah, you just saw it. That's my maniac. There <laughs> so. you go. Black Lab? No, they're uh, she's a pit mix, and okay. um, yeah, she's got some, my. I can sit here and tell you stories about my dog and her social anxiety and how much damage she's done and how many vet trips and training and all the things that we've gone through. Yikes. <laughs> I think we've been through some of that ourselves in terms yeah. of, of being aggressive to other dogs and whatnot, but uh, yeah. we love our dogs anyway. Uh, so Villanueva, C-plus for the game. Uh, I gave him near the maximum adjustment I could for Garrett. Uh, I thought that the, he, he truly did a fine job with him, and, and a, a C-plus grade is the highest he's had this year so far, so a uh, good game for Alejandro. Uh, Powers, uh, I thought a, a – Long game in terms of snaps covered for some sins he had. He did have uh, half a pressure, a third of a quarterback hit, one half a sack, a very costly offensive holding that mm-hmm. ended up stalling that final drive. That was, I mean, all three of those penalties the offensive line had. Villanueva's offensive holding stalled a drive, Powers stalled a drive, and then Zeitler stalled a drive with his false start at the one yard line. Without banged up, they are. I mean, I can, I think I can make a case this might be the best D line they see all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a couple of good ones across the board, so I, I feel like the the grading's been very fair considering what we saw, and maybe our eyes saw a different story than the numbers. But um, I, I totally get what, why these guys are getting C's, and and definitely with Villanueva, you, you got to uh, grade that on a curve, right? With I mean, it might be the yes. best pass rusher in football. Yeah, it, it would have been a C minus at his starting point for the raw score, but a .09 is is the highest I can ever give in his adjustment is .10. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good. He he, uh, it's certainly a good game for him. I'm I was positive on it. 
Uh, Bozeman had one pressure, was his only negative event, seven missed blocks, uh, a, a B overall, and he had seven level two blocks. Now, I'd like to see that as often as possible. And the Ravens running game is is having their way. They're running a lot of power, and they're using these double teams in the first level to spring one of their linemen into level two. And they did that a fair amount in this game, uh, 19 total. I'm sorry, I have that number wrong. 17 total, level two blocks in this game. Seven of those were Bozeman. Uh, so it's a, it's a three-to-make-two situation on the inside. That's meaning it's going to be Bozeman a lot getting two level two, uh, and they'll often have a, a, a guard locked up with their two interior uh, linemen. But uh, Bozeman did a good job in, in getting that done in this game. Good to see one thing, uh, Bozeman snaps. I don't know how much this comes up on your calls on the on the show either, but uh, he's got this do drop curveball of a snap that if you watch other centers, they're 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 not quite a long snapper. Long snappers fire the ball like like Nolan Ryan in terms yeah. of getting the ball to a to a, well maybe better than Nolan Ryan in terms of getting the ball to a specific <laughs> spot. But but uh, you know what we see from from Bozeman is a very slow arcing snap, and I, I was thinking about doing a study to try and break that down in terms of how many hundredths of a second he's costing Lamar on an average shotgun snap relative to some other centers. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting thing to do. But the ball seems to come in low a lot, takes Lamar's eyes off the field, and it comes in slow as well. So you might be losing as much as six one hundredths of a second. That would be two clicks on your DVR yeah. uh, as you go through this. That low, the low ones are the ones that really scare me because then all of a sudden you are you're you're dropping his eyes down. Now he's got to pick up where he wants to go. If in fact he doesn't stumble, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it totally throws off the timing of the play. You can't read the field the same way, and and that's obviously trouble. Uh, all right, let's move over to right guard where where Zeitler had another good game. By the way, eight consecutive outstanding games for Zeitler since his trip to the bathroom against the Detroit Lions in, in, in week three. But he's had A's and B's every week since then. He's really holding this line together. Uh, let's see. He had no negative plays other than his one penalty, which was enormous, but uh, uh, a false start at the one-yard line on fourth and one. Uh, certainly, probably, probably not certainly, cost the Ravens some points in that in that situation. He did go 9 of 13 on polls, which isn't particularly great, but uh, he's the one they're now trusting to pull, which means the Ravens have switched from the Yonda years being a left-to-right team where Bozeman was doing a lot of the polling to being a right-to-left team with um, – uh, with Zeitler now because they seem to trust him a little more than Powers. So um, where they are right now, they're just they're just doing a little more in that direction. Now wasn't Yonder there that night too? Did yeah, he was. Like he slimmed down. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't look like himself at all. He's yeah. first of all, Yonder was never a real self presentation guy at the podium. So you know, he's get up there. He's this horrible, scraggly mountain man kind of beard and oh, like me. I didn't want to put this in a kind of negative way. I really wasn't going through it. But he just he just doesn't look that good and he's not making an effort. But boy, I mean, the guy looks like he could be an underwear model or something now. Seriously, he's, he's in great shape and he's and a square chin and everything. He looks like a completely different guy. Absolutely. And we, we see that a lot from linemen after they retire, where yeah. the weight just drops off them. Uh, some like Alan Fanica and Matt Burke. I Matt think they Burke, were running yeah. marathons. It's like, geez, look at that. Incredible. I, I, I do not believe, I know Yanda, Yanda said he could put on the weight again to play if he needed to, but I, I don't really believe he could do that at this point. And it, uh, It'd be tough. 
Okay, so Patrick McCary, the last one we need to get to. Really good game. Now, he had Clowney, only two missed blocks, three and a half pressures in this game. Uh, comes out at the bottom end of the A range. Did some good things in terms of getting to level two. Really nice to see after a recovery. So his first game back wasn't that good, a D. Uh, bounced back this week against a very good opponent and had a, had a very solid game. So yeah. very good to see that. And uh, Clowney is a very long character. And he could be the kind of player who would give a player like McCary, which is very short arms, and that being his one of his big holdbacks, a, a lot of trouble. But that really didn't occur that much in this game. And, and uh, he pretty much held Clowney off. A lot of the pressure that, that he was able to get was either mirrored or it was after three seconds. So a lot of times Lamar leaves the pocket and then, and then Clowney obviously – can't expect to be blocked by McCary at that point, but uh, or or he is back there for three seconds, yeah. and, and Connie finally gets home. But he did a good job, I thought, against Jadavian. That's exactly what I was going to bring up about Clowney. Is that you know a lot of people are down on him because being a top pick, you're expecting to get this guy to get you 15 to 20 sacks a year, but he's so good in the run game, and he just kind of wreaks havoc in the backfield and causes problems, even when he's not getting the numbers that you want. Um, he's leading to other guys getting them as well. So he's, he's a very solid player. Thought it was a hell of a game for uh, coming back against this guy. Yeah, he's, he's a dangerous player. I, I, is he signed for only one, years with, one year with the Browns, or is he signed for multiple years? I thought it was one because he had turned them down quite a few times, and it's interesting enough that he signs this year. Yeah. All right. So we'll see where he ends up next year. But that's, that's a place where the, where the Browns may not have that same kind of advantage. They may have to go to the draft. Uh, Let's see what else I want to talk about. I think we hit on the on the Lamar ATS and the blocks in level two, so we got that. Let's go. Let's go to the skill position player discussion. And and you're the guest, but we we like to bandy it back. And uh, you come up with a player, talk about him, and then I'll come up with a player. You know, you know how it works. All right. Let's talk about Rashad Bateman. Um, I don't know what you uh, saw from him. I I love what I've seen thus far. Him high pointing the ball, catching with his hands, making plays. Wanted to see him out there a little bit more on Sunday night, um, and I know Watkins was a little upset as well that he wasn't getting out there, but I definitely want to see more and more Bateman because I think he offers something that the other wide receivers don't. Yeah, in terms of snap uh, count, I know Brown led the led them by a wide margin with something like 60-plus snaps, and then all three of the other guys, Watkins, Duvernay, and uh, Bateman were all in the 35-snap range, almost exactly the same total for all of them. So, sure, Watkins wants to be out there. He kind of disappeared, frankly, in the game. Uh, Bateman did less than he had been doing. I, I'm I'm positive on Bateman. I think he is the real deal. The hands are the problem that we've seen, and the hands, frankly, betrayed him for an interception in this last game. He got his hands on the ball. Don't know if he was really the intended target. Was it? What did you think about that? That was the first interception. I think it was. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I thought that that's who he was going to, but uh, maybe not. Maybe. Uh, yeah, and, and the other thing with Bateman, too, that I wanted to bring up, I did think of, uh, for most of the game, and I'd have to go back and look at it, he did have the toughest matchup out there uh, with Ward being opposite him for a good portion of the game. That's that's a lot of respect because Bateman's not lining up on that right side all the time, and I think of Ward as being more typically a left cornerback. Uh, I may have that wrong anyway, but uh, mm-hmm. but if he's following him to the left side, that's, uh, that is really respect. Um, let's see. I'll talk about a different player. I, I want to talk about actually three together at once because it's the usage of the three tight ends that really is getting to me. Ricard, Tomlinson, and Boyle. So Ricard is still jamming a ton of snaps. And by the way, how fortunate are the Ravens that Ricard is healthy and able to play this year and be the player he has? Because he's so critical to the offense. He's playing so much more than he ever did before. 
if they had a healthy Ben Mason because Ricard's hip wasn't working out in, in training camp, they'd have an nth the player, I would be afraid. I keep saying that I, I want them to run the read option with Ricard just once for me. I know it doesn't make any sense. I just want to see him uh, get the ball in his hands and see if guys are willing to jump in front of him because that's one of the most freakish athletes I think I've ever seen. As big as he is and how fast and strong, just amazing. Yeah, it would be funny if you, if you put Boyle in it, maybe H-back, make him the fullback <laughs> for that play, put Ricard at tailback. And, and uh, first of all, that's, that formation is going to scare the hell out of the other opponents. You might get a timeout out of it. <laughs> it's possible, the way, yeah. we, do, we do need to talk about that. I know that's in the mailbag tonight is to talk about mm-hmm. that, the, the multiple timeout play. Uh, it, but uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Tomlinson and Boyle, because Tomlinson has been everything the Ravens could possibly have hoped. A great inline blocker, uh, unselfish to any overt way. He's never complaining about not getting the football. He hardly ever runs a pattern. He's in there. He's almost always in line blocking, usually pass blocking or run blocking, either one. If he does run a pattern, it's a very short little out route, kind of like the Vontae Leach route tree of yeah. very limited level. Uh, but, he's, but he's blocked great. I mean, he's been you know as good a blocker as the Ravens have had on the team, and they have Alan, uh, sorry, Patrick Ricard. Yeah, these are all the unsung heroes that we don't talk enough about, clearly. And the, the numbers uh, don't show up all that much uh, when, you, when you look at them. You know, they're, they're not getting all these great stats, but it definitely shows up on the field in that wins and losses category and keeping the chain moving. So you got to like what they've done so far. Yeah, uh, I absolutely love it. The, the thing that's a little surprising to me is that Boyle only got 10 snaps in this game. So that's more the number that in down weeks Tomlinson had been getting. So it's really a choice of Tomlinson over Boyle on some of those snaps. And I'm wondering just – is he really ready to go at this point or, or does something still seem wrong? Do you have any, any sense of that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're just, are they easing him back? Uh, they don't want to give him too much too soon. I mean, those are all possibilities. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not hundred percent positive. All right. All right. Your turn. Another player you want to pick? Yeah. I want to talk about Mark Andrews. Cause I brought this up today uh, to Ross Tucker and, and I was saying, is, is he kind of closing that gap on the, the top tier tight ends in this league? Cause we always put Kelsey and, Kittle up there, and there's a handful of other guys we're going to start talking about. Some of these young guys are just coming to the league, but Andrew's numbers are on par with Kelsey's this year. And um, I'm interested to see if he keeps up and, and doing the same thing. And the receptions, the yardage, the touchdowns, all of it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, 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 I, I love all of that. He, all four interceptions were thrown, by the way, with Andrews as a target, unless we think Bateman was really the target on that first throw. I think yeah. I do think it was Andrews, but uh, but Andrews, the two plays he made successively kind of exactly the way Lamar, you, you, you know, we look at the Lamar and we forgive the four interceptions or we at least accept the fact that this is a, this is a bad game, but he still can make good plays. The same thing went up Andrews. The, the, the catch on that right sideline was amazing. Uh, he was, he was good at drawing the PI and incredible at working right through it. It's like, that's like a, a guy just blowing through all kinds of contact to make a three point basket. The yeah. old traditional three-point basket. <laughs> yeah, the and one. Yeah, it's, it's funny, too, because with Andrews, I feel like you kind of get the whole package. And I love that he's getting more and more opportunities, even in an offense that now has more weapons. I, I feel like that should be the number one target most of the time on drives. And obviously, you have your place designed for Hollywood. But um, I'm loving what I'm seeing from him this season. Yeah. He's done pretty well as a blocker, too. He's, he's doing a lot for the team. Uh 
overall. There's not too much to talk about 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 the running backs, but I do want to bring up Freeman here for a moment because he's he's not doing it anymore in terms of yards per carry. He's had a couple of games where he's really struggled in terms of yards per carry. I think he's in the threes in this game, 3.3, 3.4. Not what you want from from that position. He's what the Ravens have, though, and he's still doing enough to helping the Ravens extend drives with their ways to get Lamar folded in, ways to occasionally complete a pass, uh, and and getting them off the second and ten schneid, which has been a big problem for the Ravens this year. Yeah, and, and you know, look, looking at it moving forward too, Ken, I think it's something, um, you know, whether or not uh, he can get those carries and show them he deserves to be in the game or whether or not he's involved in the passing game, you have older running backs with a longer season and you're asking them to do quite a bit. Can they hold up? Is it going to make room for Tyson Williams at some point if you realize yeah. the numbers aren't cutting it? Well, one one more injury, and Tyson has to his carries have to improve. But I don't know whether it's two games ago or in Chicago, but he had 18 snaps and only one touch. I can't even express to you how difficult that is to do at running back. If you're in at running back, you, you're going to touch the ball, you know, 40 percent of your plays or something, and a, and a, a, a variation from that is telling you something. So so if he's got he's got one touch on eight, uh, sorry zero touches on on 18 snaps. Uh, that's that's really remarkable. It's a crazy number. Uh, let's see. What else? Do you have another player you'd like to talk about? Anybody? There's not a lot um, to talk about on this offensive group, unfortunately. No. Well, let me ask you this. What, what have you seen? Um, well, we're just staying with the offense, of course. Um, you know, with, uh, with Ben Cleveland and the opportunities this year, because I know everybody was hyping him up. I wanted to get your take on it. So I, I love Ben Cleveland. I love the pick. He was the number three guard on my board and the Ravens got him in the third round, which was incredible value. A lot of guys, uh, that were converted tackle guard guys were in there physically tremendous specimen, not just in terms of side, but size, but in terms of speed. And I, I haven't, I I'm, I'm watching the same tape. You guys are, I understand that there's some Frankenstein like seeming of movement to what he does, but whether you're looking at 40, 20 or 10 yard splits, he's better at all those than powers was powers. Bozeman also, Became great pullers. I, I'm sorry. Let me let me stick with Bozeman because he was really a great puller when he was at guard. Pulled more than anybody in Ravens history last year. Anybody in a single season. So I look at the athletic profile of those two guys and I say Cleveland is a bigger guy. He's faster. That's just a much more dangerous pulling profile. And I'd really like to see that at left guard before too long. I also thought he, could, he during McCarry's injury in particular that he could have maybe helped the Ravens at right tackle. So it, you know we we we'll see where this ends up. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously we don't know if he's completely healthy in terms of being back because the Ravens uh, inactive list is all unhealthies. So we don't really have a good indication that, that he's really ready to play, but they did in this last week, they only used one practice squad elevation. So you might take from that, that, Hey, he's uh, you know, he, he may not be ready to play, but he's still ready to be the eighth offensive lineman in this game. So, Good stuff. All right. Uh, once I'm going to do MVPs with me on a three-two-one on the on the offensive basis. Sure. Okay. So I'll go with my number three guy first. Is is Alejandro Villanueva? I thought he did a good job against Garrett, and and uh, uh, you know, there's there's not much I can say about it other than my expectations are not high to start with, and he exceeded them in this game. Did a really good job continuing just mirror in terms of allowing pressure and not allowing him to get beat to one side or the other very often. 
going through these MVPs is going to be really difficult, right? Because we're all going to have the same thing. <laughs> You're going to look at the offensive line and the guy that was making all the catches that were important. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, not too difficult to get through it. But no, right. I, I, yeah, I would agree with everything you said there because uh, when you talked about Villanueva and, and who he had to go up against, um, it's such a difficult matchup for a guy that we had our questions about, like what were the Ravens going to do? I thought he did a fairly good job. Yeah. All right, my number two guy is, uh, is, is a pair of guys, offensive line. The right side, Zeitler and McCary. Zeitler, the glue, like I said, is holding it together. McCary came back with a fine game. You know, it's not like Zeitler had the toughest opponents, but he scored the highest, and McCary uh, had Clowney, of course, did very well. Very pleased to see that happen again. The Ravens, Ravens need any good tackle news they can get uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, there's no question. With, with all the injuries they've had, hey, there's still a lot of football left to be played. We don't want to see any more injuries, so... I agree with you with the offensive line and the way they played. We could sit here and look at a couple of the other catches that were made, but offensively, this was a game that was a little uh, devoid of uh, big playability. Um, so I think the number one guy you're about to talk about, he deserves it for making big plays and, and of course, the touchdown. Yeah. So so uh, that's, of course, Mark Andrews. And uh, you, you talk about him first in this case. I, I just love what I'm seeing from him. And, Again, we've watched this over the past couple of weeks and making big plays down the field, even getting the pass interference and making the one handed catch. Um, I just feel like he's become Mr. Reliable again and the guy that Lamar should be looking to when he gets in trouble. Um, and you put it up usually so far the past couple of weeks, he's been the one coming down with it. Now, you and I both spent some time in camp earlier you know, in the, in the summer. But the, but the first thing you notice about him uh, is that he gets a, a enormously disproportionate share of the targets from Lamar during their regular 11 on 11 drills. Uh, Some of that I think actually pays off, but boy, I wish, you know, I wish there were more he could do to split his attention to other receivers. But, you know, during the season, it certainly pays off. Yeah, there's no question. And again, the red zone targets too, Uh, having a guy like that that you can trust with the hands down there um, and a big body guy, Uh, Lamar's going to throw it from all different angles, put it up for grabs. So, Love what I saw from this past week, and I think it's going to continue. All right. I want to go to the mailbag here, and, and there were lots of questions, but one thing I, wa- I definitely want to talk about is a very weird play that happened during this game. It was in the sequence where the Ravens had a fourth and two. I think it was inside their own 40 or around their own 40. But anyway, uh, they had this third and two situation come up. Uh, sorry, fourth and two situation come up. And they went out there with the offense. They snapped the ball. They made the – sorry, they went out there with a with – not the offense. They went out there it's with the punt team. team. Yeah. Right. They snapped the ball to Levine, the up back. He ran for three yards, got the first down. He's cavorting off to the sideline happily, and they, they, they blow the play dead for being brought into play before it was whistled into play, for the ball being snapped before the, before the play was whistled in. So they got the explanation of that, and I, you know, we heard Harbaugh's explanation. He accepted it. And the Ravens then went out and they had a late substitution of Patrick Ricard that forced Cleveland to call a timeout, which a lot of people thought was late or too late. I don't think there really is a too late in the NFL. I think they, you know, basically if they hear it and the whistle blows, if it, yeah. if it beats the snap, or even if it, if, it, if it doesn't beat the snap, the whistle blows so the play's dead. So they, they, they can't, it's too late ever. So, Anyway, the Ravens obviously weren't weren't happy about it, and they were they they thought they should have had the opportunity to run that play, and and I think they intentionally put in Ricard late to <laughs> surprise the other team, which is good. I mean, that's that's good gamesmanship. 
Okay, then we saw something that wasn't announced on the broadcast at the game, and this was pretty cool. But they stayed with Ricard in the lineup, and they still apparently had not substituted they want the way they wanted. So the defensive coordinator sent in two players, and one came out. And they, you don't even really see this on the screen of the, of, of the broadcast, but two in, one out. So they had they cut themselves to 11. Then they brought out two, brought out one. Well, guess how many they have in the field? They have 12 again. And the Ravens realized it, got the ball snapped, ran the play, uh, and there was a five-yard penalty uh, before the play, you know, even could go off because it, the twelve. Men. I thought that was one of those hilarious sequences. And after they'd blown it with that twelve men once, they're not allowed to call a second timeout because a second timeout in a row is also a penalty for delay of yeah. game. So it would have been. We been saw that on Thanksgiving with the the Lions at the end of the game. So, but I, I'm watching that going. I, I cannot believe Cleveland had to call a timeout and then come back out with twelve players on the field. How ridiculous was that? Yeah. Yeah, and I will say the Ravens need to be careful about pointing the finger and laughing at other teams with the number of times they've had 10 men on the field in the last few years. <laughs> it's, a, it's probably about six to eight times during the Wink era they've had 10 men on the field. It happens to substitution-heavy defenses. That, 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 this occurs. Arizona Cardinals, when you're – okay, this is the story I like to tell. There were 32 total times it happened in the entire NFL in one season, and 16 of those were the Arizona Cardinals. And Ravens a few years ago, this was in about 2016 in the Pease era, the game against the Raiders had only nine on the field for a play. And and they amazingly only gave up a four yard run. So it was was pretty fortunate. So, all right, let me see what else is in the mailbag here. We'll try and do a couple more of these. Um, Okay. Here's a good one. Apparently the Ravens are using Murray Freeman because the running back group was thin across the league this year. But after seeing, Dontrell Hilliard break off a 68-yard TD against the Pats. I'm wondering why the Ravens didn't try and find a younger running back like Hilliard. Great question. Um, It's tough to answer because you you thought they might be looking around at other teams' practice squads or just seeing what's out and about there. They grabbed the vets when uh, they were available and kicking the tires on all of them, gave them all an an opportunity. But uh, I'm surprised that they didn't try to see if there was something else out there that could fit here. Maybe they thought it was too late. Have they had enough guys? I'm just not sure why they didn't look at somebody else. Right. I, the, the big thing to me is the Ravens, because they've always been able to find that stylistic need, the thing they lacked the entire year was a speed back. So mm-hmm. I, I can understand. If you want to sign Latavius Murray and see what he's got, go ahead. He's a power back. But Le'Veon Bell and, and Freeman, you couldn't have been confused that they were speed backs. I don't understand that at all. So if, if you need a guy to threaten the outside and sidecar, which is what the Ravens, you know, how the Ravens ran their offense last year, then they need to have somebody like that. And, to not be able to find that guy with, you know, 442 speed or better, let's call it, from somewhere in the pool is surprising to me they, they couldn't get that done. It makes you wonder where the Darren Sproles types player. You know, like I know Naheem Hines on the Colts or something like that. It would have been nice. I'm not saying it's got to be a, a small, speedy back, but you'd like someone faster with the fact that you have Murray, and it gives you so many different options with Lamar out there as well. Yeah, an undersized back too is is fine. If you, I think you know, Bill James used to have a comment that you need to look at your ballpark and try and find out what marginal talent will work best in your thing. What 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 negative traits can you accept because your ballpark forgives them and and it, and it benefits yeah. their other things. Well, this our team, an undersized speedy back could be could be exactly what the Ravens need. Yeah, JD McKissick. A lot of teams use them as passing down backs, but uh, can be used in the run game as well. All right, let's see if we got any else uh, here to say. Um, sp- okay, can we break down what happened on that play? We got that, I think. Uh, it-, it seems that Lamar has regressed the past weeks. 
is he seeing pressure that isn't there? Is it a lack of trust in his offensive line? And that's from uh, Priya Kurtz. You know, it's funny. I seeing ghosts out there like Sam Darnold when he was on the Jets. I, I don't think that's happening. Somebody brought it up today on our show talking about the last three games and the struggles on offense for this team is just becoming, you know, sort of a, an epidemic with the team that we're going to see the offense have issues getting into the red zone, scoring, whether it's touchdowns, field goals, what have you. Um, and I, I don't know that I'm willing to go there because I feel like Lamar coming back faced the best defense of the bunch. He's entitled to have a terrible game on a Thursday night. He wasn't there for the Bears game. So I don't know that it's become an issue per se, um, but it, it is concerning seeing what we've seen point-wise from this offense. Yeah, I, I and I'm looking at, at when he threw his interceptions. They were ample time and space. They were feet planted. It's mm-hmm. more a case I'm more concerned about field vision and – uh, maybe his ability to read what his receivers are doing, them being on the same page. I'm more concerned about those sorts of things than I am about how he's reacting to pressure. I think he's always reacted to pressure pretty darn well. I think on two of those interceptions, he just didn't see the defender. Yeah. And then that happens to the best of them, that you're reading something and you don't pick it up, and you hope he learns from it. I keep saying it almost after every Raven win. You know, they haven't played well, but it's better to learn from a win than a loss. If you yeah, can take you something out of that, it's even better because you got the W on your side and you're like, hey, we can't do this anymore. All right. I absolutely great having you on the show, Jeremy. Appreciate you coming on. Tell folks again, first of all, where they can talk football with you, maybe on Twitter and then any project you want to plug right now, maybe the show again on Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm at JeremyCon1057. That's C-O-N-N-1057. And uh, you can check me out. It's 8 to 10 on 1300 here in Baltimore. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we talk gambling through and through on the FanDuel Game Day Live. And I'm on 6 to 10 Monday through Friday on 105.7 The Fan every single week. Maybe, maybe a little bit of time coming off here. i got some vacation days left, but I'll be there. How many years have you been in Baltimore now, Jeremy? Are you, are you a local guy? Yeah, I grew up here. Um, been doing radio since 2000, so uh, 21 years now. That's where all this gray comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I just shave off my gray and, and, and cut it off to the extent I even have to anymore on my head. So I, it, it, we're, we're feeling the same pain, I think. But I need to get you on a 25 years episode. I also want to want to plug that for folks out there. If you'd like to do something on Ravens history with me, uh, send me a couple bullet points on Twitter in a DM. DMs are open and I'll be happy to respond quickly, uh, get you recording quickly. But I, I know you have a ton of great stories in your background and there's relatively few people like you and me that have really been around in Baltimore since the beginning, even in the media. And so yeah. it's, it's really, I really appreciate uh, having you on for, for would appreciate having you on for something like that. Of course I do appreciate having you on for this. Yeah. Anytime man, ask me and uh, I'll be here if I can. All right. Uh, thanks folks for listening. Jeremy, thanks again for coming on. Thanks. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.